Oh, yeah. What was that? <laughs> That's all we get for episode one because... Episode zero was the grand entrance, and now that's for our eight listeners. <laughs> well, we were very grateful for. Thank we you are for very the eight grateful, people. but maybe we'll work on some. That'll be a will be an offline action item for us. We'll take an action on that. Getting better <laughs> intro music. You know, we could do like a little song, like la 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 la. I'll just record it myself. I think you should. And it'll be different every week. And I think what'll really happen is people will tune in just to hear that. And then as soon as I sing the song, they'll stop listening. That's fine. And then I'll launch my solo career as a musical entertainer. Yes, a musical genius. And this is why. <laughs> so we'll file that in the category of things that will never happen. And maybe we should start the podcast for real. Hey, we're going to keep our day job. So, Jake, <laughs> I'm glad Pranita. you joined us for episode one. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us, too. <laughs> and I'm glad that all of our listeners joined us too. Yes, thank you. Subscribers are good. Yeah. Okay, so today, the thing about healthcare in the US is the pandemic has rocked the patient experience. That's where we're going to go today. From your perspective, right, we think about the pandemic, we think about just how long this has been going on. We've had to pivot strategy pretty quickly in the healthcare environment, at least on the provider side. So what has been your observation around, let's start with something beneficial. Well, I think one of the big things that we've seen coming out of the, the pandemic that's been beneficial is um, how much telehealth has taken off in the environment. I was reading a report from the advisory board that was saying that prior to the pandemic, two out of three consumers were interested in utilizing telehealth services, but only one in 10 actually had. So a huge disconnect between interest and those that had actually used it. And what we've seen now post-COVID is that almost 70% of consumers are now saying they want to see more of telehealth. So obviously, this has been a positive impact from a consumer perspective to meet people's healthcare needs in a more efficient way. So I think that's been kind of a, you know, a huge benefit and something that has really enabled us to learn a lot. Yeah, I was thinking about with telehealth, at least for some of the services that um, I have the opportunity to work with, right? I think we've always thought about like one-stop shopping, that experience as being the right experience. So come to the medical center. We'll take a full day. We'll get everything done for you. And as we look at our patient experience scores, telehealth has really provided a bump up in those scores. And so this whole time, patients never really wanted to come into the hospital, right? They've actually Shocking just Shocking as that may be. <laughs> it's actually interesting because being able to then schedule visits in a way that's more convenient for patients and families, of course, to state the obvious, seems to be the better experience. But that completely changes the dynamic if it's something that we're able to sustainably offer. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It has also sort of challenged conventional wisdom around who is going to use the services that we kind of really we've seen this broad adoption sort of across demographics and across particularly like across ages. You see people of all ages that are adopting these services in many respects, I think out of necessity. But I think the big piece that now we have to figure out is, well, is this here to stay or not? Are people going to continue to use the service? Yeah. And I would actually say, though, Jake, 
again, we talked in our earlier podcast about kind of the haves and the have nots. Mm-hmm. And I think telehealth is another one of these areas where disparities do impact people's ability to access the technology. It is obviously harder if you don't have, you know, the right internet access um, or the technology to support those encounters. And I also wonder about when we look at decision support tools that are kind of embedded within telemedicine approaches. Um, likely they don't account for those differences in the health risks that are related to race and ethnicity. So again, it really kind of creates two completely different experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we'll need to spend some time and understand and really focus on so that we can make it an equitable experience for everybody. I see that as a challenge. And I think that's going to be a key theme in a lot of the topics we talk about. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think that one of the other things that you see as a result of this is, you know, kind of how the fragmentation of the health system plays out as well. And I think in particular, if you've got a system where people are kind of, like you said earlier, coming for that one-stop shop to be able to access it. But, you know, I can go to my primary care doctor and get my primary care needs met with a telehealth and that's sort of one platform or system or whatever that I'm using to access it. But then if I need to get referred to a specialist, it's kind of a a totally different experience and the technology may be different. The technology may work differently because I think that's one of the other pieces that I, I know that I've observed from kind of my own experience trying to use services during the pandemic is that the technology is not perfect. And I think, you know, we highlighted at the beginning here that it's been hugely impressive that healthcare systems across the United States have been able to sort of rapidly ramp up and deploy these, but it certainly hasn't been without bumps in the road. And, you know, you log in and the video doesn't work or the audio doesn't work, things that never happen in podcasting, for sure. The audio and the video not working. That never happens (laughs) to us. We haven't Uh, had that problem a few times. But, you know, I think that those, that's really kind of another challenge. And I think this kind of goes to healthcare more generally. What we talk about is that, you know, we are compared to consumer industries in many ways. And consumers expect that, oh, my health system, it should work just like fill in the blank, my bank. Like when I go online with my banking app and I text the banker to say I need to reset my pin and it just works. That's total. That's not necessarily always the experience that people have when they're interacting with the healthcare system. So yes, I think it's wonderful that, we, that this, this tool is available and has been able to be deployed and people have been able to access services from their home and not have to come in physically. But, you know, there's still not on the technology side. I think there's also room for improvement in addition to how it fits into the, the delivery of service overall, like you were highlighting. There's lots of pieces that need to be unpacked that I think are going to be critical for success if we are going to actually shift that experience. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about like just the technological requirements, right? I think one of the other things that I've learned has been, you know, you have these technologies like Zoom and Teams and, you know, whatever. There's so many platforms that we're now starting to leverage that were not designed for this. Mm -hmm. So starting to really dig into, you know, which of those are actually compliant from a privacy perspective. And there's probably a lot of work that needs to be done to really expand that technology. I think those companies have figured it out pretty quickly because we've had to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. But I think just how fast it all happened, I imagine they were probably not very well prepared for that. 
Yeah, totally agree. Well, and and beyond the regulatory side, the payment side. And obviously, this is going to be different from place to place to place. If you've got a delivery system and a payment structure that are one entity, for example, that you're kind of right pocket, left pocket with the money. But if you're a sort of a fee for service or more traditional model, figuring out how does the reimbursement work as it relates to to this new technology. I mean, we all know that um, there's temporary rules in place that have from CMS that have allowed for reimbursement for these types of services in certain cases. And it's it's a broadening set of cases, but those aren't permanent rules at this point. So I think it kind of remains to be seen what that looks like. And then a lot of private payers have been, well, we'll reimburse for virtual as it relates to the uh, diagnosis and treatment of COVID-19, but haven't really broadened to, well, no, we'll do this for all primary care services or specialty care services or hospital, whatever it is. You don't have framework and platform and infrastructure that's in mm-hmm. place to make this sustainable in the long run. And I think back to the consumer experience piece of this, it really leaves the consumer in the lurch, which yeah. we are really good at doing in healthcare of <laughs> designing systems that meet our needs as the healthcare system and not necessarily designing systems that are conducive for the patient. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about, I guess I would classify it as the ambulatory experience, right? The traditional clinic visit that perhaps Mm -hmm. you can move from an in-person model to a telehealth visit. Mm -hmm. I think the experience is completely different as you get to the inpatient side, because there you see these stories of healthcare workers who are taking care of patients in their last moments of life with COVID-19, and families don't have the ability to connect with their loved ones, and so people are left dying alone. It's a terrible thought. Um But I don't think that we've consistently set up the experience in a way that we can not just prevent the infection risk, right? There's reasons why, you know, there's visitor policies and things like that. But how do we create an experience that's more supportive in that situation? And I don't know that we've really looked at the technology. I mean, that's a terrible way to experience that moment. Um, It's hard to think about, but I, I think there's probably more we could do to create a supportive structure around those patients. Yeah. And I think back to the topic of our podcast, this has shed a lot of the, the response to the pandemic has shed light on a lot of where we are challenged in the patient experience. And yeah, I think end of life is a great example. And it's just highlighted it now in this situation that people are having to spend their last moments alone, potentially with a with a healthcare worker there with them, potentially not. But you know, we know that there's plenty of research that indicates that people don't want to die in a hospital. They want to die at home. And yeah. so I think it's how do you, I think you're highlighting exactly the point of a, another piece of the puzzle that hasn't really been solved is how do you understand people's needs and understand people's wants and understand people's expectations and then design the system to meet them, not design the system in a way that's most efficient for the system. I think people are trying their best to figure out how to meet people in those moments. But I think we just don't have the technology or the infrastructure in any of our healthcare settings to really support that no matter what we try. And so that's challenging. And I think it's Mm -hmm. hard, obviously, on the patient and their family, but even for healthcare workers. Flipping gears a little bit, um, I've heard the argument out there that, you know, perhaps there's less need for healthcare given more people being at home. 
because many people are on lockdown, hopefully, in their homes, that there's just less exposure for children, for example, uh, being in daycare settings and schools, um, that really there's just less need for healthcare. What are your thoughts on that before I opine with my two cents? Because <laughs> you know I have an opinion. I know. Um <laughs> So I, I think that there's a couple of pieces to it. I think one, one side of it is that, yeah, there, there obviously is a fear factor of people not wanting to interact with the healthcare system, in part because, you know, the healthcare system is, well, that's where, sick, that's where the sick people are, is in the healthcare system. And so, you know, desire to avoid that and try to stay away from that. The other piece of it that I think is um, that I don't actually know that we fully have seen the magnitude of yet is the economic uh, mm-hmm. lo- I got the looming economic crisis, you could probably say, yeah. that, I th- that I think seems to be on the horizon here. With I mean, I think it has been on the horizon, right? I mean, it's always been there and now it's worse. Yeah. You know, the economy. It's, now it's worse and it's here. But, you know, the, exactly. There are job losses continuing to mount. And so we're a system that's primarily designed around pe- getting health care through their employer and so as that goes away, that is going to have some meaningful impact on, on how people are utilizing the system and, you know, how they're able to take care of getting preventative care prior to things becoming more significant issues. And so that is going to, I think, start to become a much more significant challenge, um, you know, that we won't see right away, but we will see down the line is that if people don't have don't have insurance and aren't able to get those services, that problems that could have been managed are going to then become more significant problems that will require hospitalization versus things that could potentially be treated in in lower cost settings. Well, it's an interesting point too, because I mean, I think we've known all along that the concept of a medical home is really important for care management. And right, that's where you get into, you risk stratify patient populations and you have different mechanisms for how um, you stay in touch with those potential patients even. And in this moment, the challenge is because that's not really an expectation of the system. To your point, there are perhaps people who need care, but we don't know that. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a lot of guesswork behind maybe why people are not accessing, but we really don't have a good mechanism to understand who's kind of climbing that acuity ladder versus, sure, they don't need healthcare. And that's something that we probably should be thinking about more broadly after this experience, whether or not you're paid based off of value or volume. Yeah, I agree. So the other thing I want to recognize is, you know, with more people at home, again, and it keeps kind of coming back to this key theme of just different people live very different lives, right? So on the one hand, you know, somebody could comfortably be at home and safe. And then on the flip side, there are populations who may be experiencing greater mental health needs. I mean, I think on a good day for a very privileged person, this is very challenging to be in a pandemic. So for the elderly, you know, some of our communities of color who are maybe disproportionately impacted, being at home and being kind of isolated, I could imagine is very challenging. And so it kind of raises this question of, you know, we're already not strong in terms of mental health offerings and kind of meeting that need. So how do you start to create that structure on an even broader basis now that people are kind of forced into that isolation? Yeah. And what I find really difficult to solution, I guess, around this whole situation is that 
intuitively, it feels like an on-demand telehealth solution is like perfect for mental health. I mean, that that's that solution that theoretically is the ultimate where we can actually meet people at the moment that they need help, at the moment that they need to get services with a really robust <laughs> mental health telehealth infrastructure. You know, you can just download the app, tap the button, enter your insurance information and be connected to a therapist um, that can then help help you talk through your, these needs. And I think I mean, mental health is such a big thing to unpack and deal with. And so I don't want to minimize that in in what we're talking about here, because I think what we're talking about is people that are sort of dealing with mild to moderate depression as a result of this isolation, not necessarily people with you know more severe and significant mental health issues, which are, you know, those people are struggling with this, with accessing these services through the pandemic just as much, but you have that need and it feels like a telehealth solution should be able to meet that need. But yeah, we we don't have enough therapists. We don't have a really robust infrastructure to do this. I mean, there are a whole host of startups and disruptors that are trying to figure out how to meet this need and do this more sort of more on-demand telehealth-based mental health services, but not real good connectivity with the rest of the health system and an ability to meet mental, physical, social, spiritual, kind of all of those that whole person need Mm -hmm. um, rather than just sort of plugging an individual hole. But it feels like there's a ton of potential there. It's just the system has not designed itself to meet that. I mean, there's, we've been feel like for as long as you and I've been in the business, we've been talking about mental health parity is coming and there's mental health parity laws on the books, but there still is really not, I I don't believe a truly effective mental health parity. Yeah. Lots of people making strides, but it's not there yet. Yeah. And again, it's, accessible to those who can access it. And then you Mm -hmm. have those situations where, you know, unfortunately, people are in unsafe homes, or, you know, they need kind of that helpline almost Mm -hmm. um, to get some support. And how do you start to a lot of times those are places like hospitals, right? People come to hospitals because they need like a safe haven, um, a place that they can go to when they are really struggling Um, in some traumatic situations. And, you know, just how do you start to put some kind of system around that in a way that can also endure something like what we're going through? Mm -hmm. Um, So what are some things that perhaps we need to do to kind of move the dial on this work? Well, uh, there's a couple, I, I mean, I think the first place where it really starts is having a strategy and taking a step back and unpacking what is working well, what's not working well, and how does that fit into overall how we're going to deliver care moving into the future. I think that we have thrown resource at this and we have stood a bunch of innovative and, and meeting member, meeting patients where they are things into place in a relatively short period of time. But there's that next piece around, well, how do we make sure it's sustainable? How do we make sure it's reliable um, from a technology and accessibility perspective? So kind of having that, building that comprehensive strategy, I think is probably the first place. And I would, I was just going to add, I think it's also being very intentional. Mm-hmm. I read an article from McKinsey that said that they estimate that up to $250 billion, billion with a B, 
of U.S. healthcare spend could be virtualized. So that's about 20% mm-hmm. of what is being spent on healthcare in the United States right now. So I think when you talk about intentionality, it's figuring out what's our target and what are the specific areas that we're going to focus. Is it we're going to utilize virtual as a means to divert volume from the ED into lower acuity settings? Is it we're going to take office visits that we used to be doing in person and doing those virtually? Is it home health, moving from inpatient hospital days to home health days that are then virtual? You know, there's there's a million ways you can go with it, but Mm -hmm. I think that you do have to be really intentional about figuring out, well, what's our strategy? What piece of the healthcare value chain are we going to attack with this strategy? And then put those systems, processes, and tools in place, those process and things in place. <laughs> to be specific. <laughs> to be specific in order to have a meaningful impact and actually change. Because I think one of the biggest risks that any healthcare system is going to have with telehealth, since we've had this huge adoption, is that this can't now become additive. Because as we've talked about before, healthcare is too expensive. And so if all we're doing is adding another layer of here's more stuff that we can do, and we can charge you for, and we can hire people to provide this access, it's not going to have the, the true impact on making healthcare more equitable, more affordable, more available to everyone. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this a couple of times. We need a focus on social determinants of health. So creating economic and psychological safety, right, in our communities so that everybody can participate in those models that you're describing. And then I think really thinking about how we train our providers on how to use, I guess, automated algorithms and really using their judgment in differentiating the needs of communities um, of color and those who are disproportionately impacted by poor outcomes because we know that existing systems don't really address that need so that again this is a system for everybody totally agree yeah and and i think then in addition to sort of that training and that focus and building sort of the the people side of it i mean there also does need to be a, a building of the technology and infrastructure side of uh, of this as well and, and you know it's both an aspect of the health system side and the provider side making sure we've got robust available infrastructure because i think the worst thing that can happen is that you've got you know, you you say to people, well, this is where you go when you need services. And then they pull up the app and it's like system unavailable. Try again yeah. later. I mean, then it's just I'm going to just switch apps to my phone and call you up and make an appointment. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of one side of it. And that happens now. Yeah. Right? It happens all the time. Their Wi-Fi isn't working or there is a dead spot in the hospital. And so mm-hmm. somehow just the infrastructure of the hospital is so dense where even something as basic as getting connectivity is so challenging. And then and then there's the other side of it related to social determinants. And when you're looking at specific social determinants around, do you have regular access to to get to these services? You know, what's what's the systemic solution to those types of things as well? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you create a seamless experience as mm-hmm. as a provider? Um, so those those pieces I think are really 
are really critical to work out. And I think about schools. I don't know how it's going for your kids, what that will look like. I know that for my <laughs> well, child. I haven't started yet, so I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you in a week or so here. <laughs> we'll find out. But like, so my son, he's starting kindergarten and the school district, they have figured out a way to offer laptops, offer tablets and preloading all the apps that you need. And so trying to find ways to meet people halfway to get them some of that technology. And I think that's kind of the thinking we need to apply in healthcare, if we can pull that off effectively, maybe there are some cost efficiencies because that's always the first thing we talk about is we can't afford something. Um, So how do you kind of create the solution and be able to distribute it in a way that's effective? Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting too also to see how some of these other new disruptors that are coming into healthcare and offering, you know, these kind of virtual or telehealth only types of service delivery models. What can the whole system learn from them? Because I think in a lot of respects, those types of disruptors are based on fragmenting the system. And I I personally just don't necessarily believe that that's the right approach to say, Mm -hmm. we're going to further fragment and further break up the system. And it's like, Oh, I go here for the expert in cancer and I go here for the expert in cardiology and I, you know, I go to all these different places versus having this more holistic person-based approach. So I think that there's a need to to pull all those things together and I think that there're going to be people that are going to figure it out mm-hmm. and be really successful and add value and deliver on that that promise. It's it's who's going to figure it out and what's their ability to learn from what these niche players are doing really well. Um, and so then how can that be scaled and applied on a, on a broader basis? Mm-hmm. And then payers, we talked briefly about right now we have an incentive in this moment to really leverage technology to be able to offer healthcare in a different way. Yeah. We have to get a more permanent way to get reimbursed so that we can create a sustainable model and evolve the experience that we're starting to just now scratch the surface on what it could look like. I totally agree. I think <clears throat> I think that that is always the the challenge that if we want to if we want people to utilize this, if we want it to be more convenient, if we want to broaden the access by making it more virtual and on demand, you have to figure out a reimbursement model that's going to facilitate and drive in that direction. Yeah. Okay, so that was a lot for us to kind of unpack, right? That was just the patient side of the experience, which I feel like we could continue to kind of dive into. But I think leveraging what we have figured out in terms of what is functional for us and really trying to think about innovative models for how we apply that moving forward, probably the direction we need to go. And on the topic of social determinants of health, which we have spent quite a bit of our time, right? It impacts everything that Mm -hmm. we do. Um, I am very excited for our next podcast where we will have our first guest, Very special guest. Yes, very special guest um, who is really going to help us dive into that. So I think that is kind of some great learning that we'll look forward to. So Jake, I mean, you're going to have to come up with the music for next time. So maybe you can end us here on some lovely music. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Don't forget to subscribe.